1: Welcome to Money M.D., where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner
2: and investment advisor with over 19 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a preferred Dave Ramsey local provider and have been helping corporations and individuals for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner. You can... Stream us um, from wherever you're kind of hanging out this Saturday morning, right, whether it be your kitchen, vacation, uh, or you can catch us on the dial at 1230 a.m. Hey, you can also listen to us on your uh, smartphone by downloading the TuneIn
1: radio app to your smartphone, and you can be working around the house, um, you know, out jogging uh, like I like to do, Yeah, you know, some mornings. Playing golf. Playing (laughs) golf. Yeah, you can listen to us while you're playing golf. It might be a little distracting. Probably not the best prescription to do that. Well, it might not be good for your golf game, but it'll be good for your financial game. Yes, it will. This is true. That's 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 more important important one. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Also, um, uh, do check us on our website, MoneyMD.net, where you can link to us there. Uh, Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net. And we'd also like to welcome our new advisor um, who's with us again here, Gordon Leopard. Welcome, Gordon. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be back. All right. We're going to start off our show here with the financial fact of the week.
2: Yeah, we have a great financial fact. Um, It's from the Social Security office, and it it kind of, uh, a little bit of the sign of the times type fact here. But uh, the number of Americans that are receiving disability um, from Social Security has increased significantly. And, um, you know, it's increased from 4.9 million people at the end of 1999 to almost 9 million people at the end of 2013 that's an increase of 83 percent and i just saw an article the other day that was talking about um if congress doesn't do something in the next year to two years that the disability payments are going to be cut by 20 percent um they're only going to be able to pay out 80 percent of what's what's available out there so uh, it's it's a tough. I think. It's you know, Unfortunately, you know, if people can't work and they don't can't make it on um, some, uh, you know, assistance from the government. Unfortunately, I think some people are going and trying to get disability for things. Yeah, and you have to think I've, there's some abuse going on there. I, I think. I think you know, to, to increase that much in in 14 years is. Um, I think it's a sign of the times. I really do. Yeah, I think the financial
1: difficulties that people have had over the last eight years have contributed to that. You know, more people have just been looking for some way to draw. And, uh, you know, so and there's a lot of psychological things they can point to now and say that they have. Um, So, unfortunately, uh, it's just part of the instability problem with the system. Mm -hmm. You know, there's got to be some fixes put in place. Yep. So we, we tell you that not to depress you, no, just to no. let you know. It's a financial fact. I mean. It's a financial fact, right. So maybe you want to discount Social Security a little bit. The system's
2: yep. not
1: uh, what it used to
2: be if you're planning for 30 years down the road. Yeah, as you go through the retirement planning process, which we do, we, we typically discount Social Security depending on what your age is. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Good financial
1: fact of the week. And um, we're going to just to preview our show a little bit. I mean, we have the second part of the six ways money can destroy your marriage and how to prevent it. Um, you know, last week we talked about the first three of those items, John, mm-hmm. which I'll review here in a second. And then, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the rest of it because there's really nothing more important. Um, not many things more important in your marriage than it being on the same page financially. Yeah. Because it's one of the leading contributors to, to divorce. Yeah, so, that's right.
2: Other topics we have today? Yeah, we have a, a Dave Ramsey article. Uh, is a secure retirement a thing of the past? And, you know, guys, we, we've known for decades now that traditional pension plans are, are really becoming part of retirement history. And, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, we see... Uh, People just not being prepared, um, not taking the steps, not doing the planning. So we're going to kind of give you some action items, some action steps, um, some stats in here that you, know, you want to think about. Maybe share with your kids, your grandkids, um, coworkers, and so forth. So it's a great article from from Dave. And then we're going to round out with um, talking about a, kind of a um, uh, uh, the American economy, talking about a local um, topic uh, with with the U.S. and looking at GDP and how the U.S. stacks up versus China and uh, Japan, Germany, and France, and so forth. And, um, you know, U.S. obviously has some some issues with uh, deficits and so forth, but GDP-wise, it's pretty strong um, yeah, in, in comparison. Yeah.
1: Titles don't count out the American economy just yet. Yes. Uh, I like that. It's the comeback kid. That's you know? it's right. It's the comeback story. You know, like America's it. back on top, we <laughs> hope. So uh, that's a good story. Stick around for that. All right, and that leads us up to our um, uh, first topic here, and that is – uh, the second part of the six ways money can destroy your marriage and how to prevent it, you know I mean last week john we <clears throat> we talked about this incredibly important topic, and that was you know uh, some of the major pitfalls for couples and money, um, like not planning a budget together or not agreeing on the priorities in a budget mm-hmm. um, was one of them. We also discussed overspending your personal monthly limit you know, that that you guys agree on uh, as a couple, and then not respecting those boundaries that you set for different things and particularly for your own personal, you know, discretionary money. And then we discussed how couples um, don't discuss the big priorities and come to any kind of compromise. Unfortunately, that's really important. You have to be able to... Um, to compromise and, and and discuss these things and communicate. And so all of those can lead to some huge issues and disunity in marriage. So those are some of the things we talked about last week.
2: Yeah, you know, couples usually have vastly different priorities, which which is why, um, and values sometimes too, but that's one of the reasons why money can be the leading cause of divorce. Um, you know, some families we see may work long hours to afford a second home and others may cut back uh, and, and uh, cut back on their work so they can spend more time with their families. So it really boils down to, you know, communicating with your spouse on what your goals, what your values are going to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, anyone married knows that harmony in finances is one of the keys to a happy marriage, right? Um, finances uh, is also emotionally packed issue since it's driven from values. So if you're married, you know what I mean. I mean, money issues are right up there with kids. And when you combine the two together, I mean, it can be a real powder keg. Um, so you, you have to know... You have to be on the same page with money. Statistics show that 57% of divorces are, are due to money as a leading reason um, for divorce. Uh, we talked about um, how women you know, value security. You blow the budget. You're kind of encroaching on, on, on oftentimes the wife's core fear. At okay. the same time, guys value respect. You take away control over spending, and that incites their core fear of not being in control and not having respect. So, you know, if you blow your budget, it goes way beyond just finances. I mean, all of a sudden, you're kind of stepping on each other's security, each other's core fears, respect, um, those really important issues that we each have emotionally. And that's why communication is the key here. You have to talk through and agree to avoid these pitfalls. Um, And, you know, just a quick story. When Kathy and I first got married, we had assumed that our kids, at least I had assumed that our kids, um, when we had kids, that they would just go to public school, you know? I mean... It seemed illogical to me. I mean, I went to public school and I turned out all right. Right. Uh, you right. went to Clemson. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's questionable. Uh, come on but, now. I mean, well, the system's changed quite a bit since. Yeah, uh, it since has. We were probably actually, we'll give you too. a thumbs up. You're, you're an okay guy. <laughs> there you go. I mean, you know, but then we bought some land. We built a house. Um, we were not in a very good school district with the house. I didn't even give it a th- second thought. You know, we bought the land. Then we had our first child, Josh, Um, and when he was about two, you know, I learned that the school district thing, that was a big deal to Kathy. Um, You know, she was a school teacher, so she had some really strong opinions about the quality of the school. I really hadn't given it a thought, you know, and also learned the idea of a Christian school was important to her. And I mean, as I now know, private schools are really, really expensive. Yes, they
2: are. <laughs> so times three kids, right? They
1: really were. So, I mean, after getting over the shock of the idea of sending our kids to private school, we finally discussed it. And I have to admit, my heart began to change on that issue. She won me over on that, um, but we compromised. She decided to teach in a Christian school so that we could afford it. So with the discount and with what she was making as a teacher, you know, um, teaching, uh, we could afford that. You know, and it didn't really impact our budget. So we cut back, you know, retirement funding a little bit. She taught there so that we could do that. It was a big compromise. Um, but you know, if we had not discussed that and been willing to compromise, it would have been a real big problem down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we, we should have discussed it earlier, you know, before we had kids and come to an agreement on that since it's such an important issue, but it's issues like this are the reason why kids and money are one of the top issues in marriage. That leads us up to our first first one here in a second
2: yeah you know we talked about um last week about how getting marriage counseling before you know um you 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 get married and you have the wedding and one of the things that we we're big believers on is financial discussions because people come from different backgrounds have different values and if you can get those things out on the table initially um it just helps with the communication so it really does i mean
1: you you got to talk about financial issues even before you're married that's right, and and kids are so the so the item here is one of the the big uh, ways money can destroy your marriage is kids and priority of spending and and not discussing that um, particularly once you're married. I mean, kids can be a very divisive issue in marriage, and how much you spend and how you prioritize on kids is a big deal. In fact, I sat down with a couple just yesterday, and. Um, you know, it was clear they were not on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, the wife was a second marriage. The wife was uh, uh, buying a, a car, paying for the the payment on the car for a twenty eight year old daughter, mm. and uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, I don't think the husband was really on board with that. Yeah. And um, you know, so you got to discuss those things. It can't just be a surprise. It can't, it can't just. You know, do it and ask forgiveness. Yeah, you know. it's going to create going create issues, no doubt. It really is. It really is. So when we come back from break, we'll continue this. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> The Money MD where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Barber a Certified Financial Planner and I'm here with John Travis who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider and Gordon Leopard, who is a new advisor in our office who joined us today as well. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the six ways money can destroy your marriage and how to prevent it. You know, this is a second part series. Um, John and Gordon, I mean, we, we talked about the first three last week. Um, where, you know, not planning a budget together, um, not not respecting each other's limits, um, were very very important issues. And you know, the first one here this week is kids. Um, it's, kids are such a big issue in marriage, mm-hmm. and spending on kids is just combines the two. You know, it can be a real uh, powder keg, really, in marriage, because they're both emotional issues. I mean, how much money do you spend on the kids? Um, you know, it really can be very divisive, and so you have to get on the same page with how you prioritize this. I mean, kids are expensive, so you add the emotion together uh, with that,
2: and it really can spell trouble for marriages. Yeah, you know, discuss kids' spending issues before you have kids. Like, you know, talk about private school, public school uh, choice, you know, even things as simple as clothes, you know, um, how much are you going to spend on clothes, outfits, name brands? Do you go to Goodwill? I mean, we have um, a teenager in the house and it seems like he grows like three inches every two months. So, yeah. you know, I mean, why buy him something new versus going to Goodwill? Well, John, you can take that all the way back to the nursery. Yeah, that's you know, exactly I mean, right. From the very beginning, we're
1: yep. talking about kids, sure. you know, from so from the very get go. Uh, make sure you're on the same page.
2: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, you have other other discussions of uh, cars and allowances or work, braces, college. I mean, these are really important issues that lead to many disagreements in marriage. I mean, we see it time after time um couples that come in and you can tell they have not talked and we we kind of facilitate that we kind of lead them down into some some questions that they ought to be asking themselves so make sure you discuss this piece out of it
1: yeah i mean this is way important to particularly to a mother you know about spending on kids i mean she usually want to spend more than dad on kids and so you know, I would suggest discuss in private, um, you know, not in front of your kids. Don't put them in the middle of the discussion, uh, but you discuss it way ahead of time, or this is going to be a problem. I mean, That's don't. That's a good point. Yeah. That's and. And don't let kids manipulate this. You know, teenagers can do that. I mean, they're they're really good at you <laughs> yes, know coming are. and asking for money from the, the the parent that's the most likely to give it to them. Or right? mom said this is okay, right. right? Mom said this is okay just because she said go ask dad. She didn't say it was okay. Yeah. She just said go ask dad. That's right. right. That's right. You know, so, uh, so you can't you can't let kids you know pitch against one another. Um, and I believe that you know in a good relationship, either parent has veto power. Right, I mean, you have to be unanimous on these decisions um, about spending money for kids. So, you know, do you go to the emergency room or the doctor for every illness? I mean, wives tend to, moms tend to want to be do that more than dads do. Um, but then again, you know, men will let things go and turn into bigger problems. <laughs> um, so there's a balance there. I'll just um, give
2: them some aspirin; they'll be okay. One. Yeah, right.
1: they'll be fine. Sure. <laughs> they'll be fine. And we had an exchange student from Russia that stayed with us back a number of years ago and uh, you know her parents is it, it was kind of strange because they don't make a whole lot in Russia um, their incomes are very very low and but her parents seem to spend almost everything on her um, you know for a better life and for her for her to pursue her dreams of being a you know basketball player and coming to to college here in the u s mm-hmm. Um so you know I just point that out to say I mean it seems to me that could have been a huge conflict for them but they seem to be in agreement mm-hmm. on that I'm sure they discussed it ahead of time sure. it's kind of the bottom line um you know I cuz I've seen several divorces where kids and money
2: were cited as the may, some of the major issues. Oh, absolutely. And, we, and sometimes kids, we're talking about young kids, but also adult kids as well. I mean, I see a lot of times parents right. continuing to pour in. And, you know, if you can do that and that's one of your parties, that's great. But many times those things have not been discussed. Yeah, and they're not, not in agreement.
1: Right. That's it. So so that was number four. And the next one here is not agreeing on debt management. Um you have to be like-minded on debt, or it's going to be a huge wedge, you know. Do you buy a car now on credit, or do you save the money ahead of time? Obviously, we would like for you to save it ahead of time, yes. but you got to be in agreement with your spouse on that. Do you buy a bigger house with a larger mortgage? Yeah. I those type issues.
2: Take a vacation, put it on credit cards, as Dave Ramsey says. You know, if you do that, then the vacation is going to come back home with you yep. and be with you for six months paying yes. those bills down. And, you know, we, we talk about debt a lot because financially it can make or break you. I mean, sometimes we see one spouse trying to pay down debt while another is on the opposite end and, and running it up and not really having respect, you know, for that priority in the household. So, again, it comes down to communication and a little bit of planning
1: yeah that's right. You have to be on the same page, hopefully paying down debt um you know rising debt it causes insecurity, it causes stress in marriage in so many ways it, usually there's the guilty feelings um or blaming that goes on when there are debt problems. so discuss debt, budgeting you know and and plan for paying it down monthly come to an agreement on that, that you both agree on, the the level of paying down debt. You know, agree on a plan together and discuss it regularly. That's really the bottom line here. It's just just, nothing more important than being on the same page financially with your spouse. And then the last one here was not being honest about money with your spouse. Now, this is a touchy one, you know Mm I mean? Uh, Because most people, they don't really – they don't really think this applies to them. Um, and it doesn't get any bigger than dishonesty, right? I mean, but before you limit it at yourself, I mean, think about this. Here's the thing. It's not usually a direct lying. It's just kind of omission, right? Um, not discussing a significant purchase ahead of time or kind of taking the passive-aggressive approach of, you know, like buying it and then asking forgiveness um, after the fact.
2: So... Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta bring these things up front. Right? You
1: really do. Yeah, I mean, I've had clients before who would hide money and they would send statements to a P.O. box, mm. um, all in there, have everything in their name. Yeah, I know everybody has their reasons. I mean, maybe they had a spend thrift spouse that they were trying to protect, but it so dishonesty. You know, I mean, if you if you talk out these issues and come to an agreement, then you shouldn't need to hide your actions. Um, so if you're being less than honest about money with your spouse then, uh, you know, there's a problem there. I mean, be honest with yourself and with your spouse. Recognize it's a problem that will eventually erupt and get a plan together that you, that you can all be on board with.
2: Yeah, you know, if you're being dishonest, you're probably doing something hurtful to your financial situation. You know, go to dinner. Come clean, get the uh, heart, um, get to the heart of the issues, and compromise so it's all above board. I mean, dishonesty eventually will wreck most marriages if not addressed, and there's a lot of different types of dishonesty. We're talking about financial here. That's right. That's right. Okay, so that was number six. So the
1: takeaways here um, are money is way too important in marriage to ignore these issues. So communicate often. You have to get on the same page financially or it's an eruption waiting to happen. I mean, discuss financial issues like priorities, um, kids, debt, um, goals, major expenses, and do that at least once a week. I mean, discuss money often. And compromise on your priorities so, you know, your budget reflects some of both of your priorities, not just one spouse's. And don't ignore these issues. I mean, have a date night and go discuss your financial goals. I mean, do it, do it this week. Yeah. Do it now. All right, good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week.
2: Yeah, this question has to do with an RMD from a Roth account. Am I required to take an RMD from a Roth account? An RMD is a required minimum distribution. And uh, the answer is no from a Roth account. From an IRA account, um, the government does require you to take a required minimum distribution at age 70 and a half. But under the current regulations, uh, Roth accounts are excluded from that. Now we see writing on the wall, not writing on the wall, but we've heard conversations and read articles where RMDs may be required potentially on Roths in the future, but under today's regulations, it is not.
1: Yeah, I personally don't think it will be required just because, I mean, well, I mean, there's no, there's no tax incentive for the government to require that, right, Um the money is non-taxable regard regardless of when you take it. Mm-hmm. So usually decisions like that in Washington are, are led by the revenue that it raises. Yeah, it's usually it'll, the driver, no doubt. It'll be a zero revenue to, you know, it'll be unpopular and it'll raise zero revenue Yeah, in the short term. They never think long term, so it'll be in the short term and won't raise any revenue. So I don't think they'll ever change that. Yeah, I hope not.
2: Just my opinion. I, I think you're I hope you're right. <laughs> the Roth account is a great place to save. It's mean, it really something is. you really need to look at. And that's one of the subtle advantages to a Roth is in under today's scenario is not no required, required to be
1: minimum taken. Of distribution. Yeah. That's exactly right. So it's a great place to put money. Um you want to build up some of that money for retirement cuz you need you need some of both. Yep in retirement. All right, that leads up to our break here, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and Jamie Stay with
2: us. Welcome back to
1: Money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Barber, a Certified Financial Planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider, and Gordon Leppard, our new advisor in our office, and uh, we are going to lead off our uh,
2: second segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription has to do with insurance, and uh, a lot of different types of insurance out there, Uh, term insurance, which we talk a lot about. You basically buy it for a certain period of time, and then it it goes away. uh, Typically, pretty inexpensive. But a lot of people have something called a whole life, or or variable, or universal policy. And um, you know, when I sit down with folks and I ask them to kind of see your statement, and a lot of times they don't have that. So you you need to call and get an in force illustration. It basically shows the details of the policy in the future. And I've had two cases in the last um, week on this um, that uh, actually made a phone call. Sitting with a a client and was looking at some of the insurance they had, we called the insurance company and um, he has a trust who is the owner of the policy and this guy is actually uh, um, pays the bill and it's the life insurance policy is on him they wouldn't even speak to this guy on the phone because he wasn't the owner of the policy. Mm. The bills came to him, but the bills were, you know, three years old. So I had no information in front of me. So we basically asked him for a, an in-force illustration. Yeah. He's paying a, a crazy amount of money, um, you know, in the tens of thousands of dollars for this policy. So an in-force illustration will give you some information about how the policy is going to React in the future premiums, you know, projected balances on um, cash, you know, in there. How long will it survive? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: I mean, you may find out the policy is only going to last another 10 years before the costs
2: just swamp the cash value. That's right. So, it's. Yeah, I yeah, spent some time on this. I, I had another situation, um, a client in in their 90s, and um, you know, not, and they we basically got an enforce illustration because there were some question marks about whether the policy was even going to be paid off. So. If you have something, if you don't know what you have, you can certainly drop it by. We'll take a look at it and help you figure it out, but make sure you understand what the policy is, how much it pays off and what you have to do going forward. Yeah, I can't tell you how many
1: times I sit down with somebody and they'll mention insurance and and but they'll know nothing about the policy. Just oh, yeah. like yesterday I sat down with a client, same thing. He has a policy, he knew it's 50,000 dollar death benefit, knew the cash value was maybe 22,000, but he had no idea, you know, how long that money's going to last? Is it growing? Is mm-hmm. it going to start eating into the cash value? Do they even
2: need it in some you cases? Know, you know, do
1: you need it? Maybe you should mean, cash it out before it starts going downhill. Right. You know, I mean, you just got it. The only way to know that is that get that in force illustration. That's right. That's right. So every five years or so, you need to you need to get an updated in force illustration. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great prescription of the week. All right, and that leads us up to our first topic here for this segment, and that is. Is a secure retirement a thing of the past? This is a Dave Ramsey article, and, um, yeah, I think it's a provocative question, you know. I mean, what retirement doesn't mean what it used to mean.
2: Yeah, be. how do you define secure, I guess, is another That's question. Right. And, you know, Dave often says that winning with money depends much more on on our behavior uh, than our head knowledge. And you know, this is especially true when it comes to investing for retirement. And like I mentioned earlier, we've known for decades that traditional pension plans um, were really becoming a thing of the past. That's right. Um, but most of us uh, unfortunately have not changed the way that we we save to compensate for it. So, you know, the, the first kind of segment here is the great retirement risk transfer. So pension plans, uh, also known as defined benefit plans, they provided uh, and they do provide for those who have it, guaranteed income for life for a retiree and the retiree spouse. And the employees often contribute part of their income to the plan during their careers, but the employer takes on the lion's share of the cost and the responsibility of providing the benefit. So the risk is really on the company. Um, and what they found is that you know, most companies don't want to bear that risk, and it's a huge burden on the the viability of the company going forward, right?
1: Yeah, and I, quite frankly, I don't think employees really appreciate no. a pension plan. They don't understand how much is worth. When I've sat down with clients before, and I've calculated a present value on their pension plan, they were shocked to see it was like a half million dollar asset for them. Right, right, right. You know, I mean, it's a big asset, and yet they just don't really value it that much. So I think that's one other reason why companies are saying... You know, geez. I mean, we're not really keeping employees. It's not causing employees to stay with us like we thought it would. Mm-hmm. And for what they value a uh, hundred thousand dollars four hundred one k balance more than they do a right. three thousand dollar a month pension. And, you know, because they're not good at math and people don't really understand
2: how much that pension is worth. So why take that risk? Yeah, well, plus it's also costly to fund the pension plans. I mean, you have to, you know, half a million dollars sitting aside for one employee. Yeah, you got to
1: put a ton. They have to put a ton of money in there in the later years for an employee to to get that balance up there to support that pension. So, yeah, I mean, the expense and the risk of providing guaranteed benefits to a growing number of retirees, Eventually, just became too much, and most businesses began to slowly phase out pension plans in the 80s. And now, more than half of all retirees received income from pensions back then. Um, but the number of non government workers participating in a pension plan has dropped from 35% in 1990 to just
2: 18% today. So it's dropped about in half. Yeah, that's right. And and only 10% of, of all private industry employers often offer pension plans now. I mean, they've been replaced with defined contribution plans like 401Ks in which the employee is responsible for saving and investing uh, for his or her own retirement. And today, about 55% of workers have access to a 401K, but only 38%, Steve, um, you know, participate in it. That's according to the Bureau of Labor stats. So and that's the problem. It is. It is. You know, the other, I guess, commentary on this is pension plans um you know from a government standpoint there are a lot of entities out there I, I see um you know the u.s post office having issues you know they bleed money i mean billions and billions of dollars yet they have pension plans it just doesn't i mean if you can't pay for it inside the business then there has to be a different solution and, and i see you know when we sit down with someone and do planning today um someone who's you know, 5, 10, 20 years out, you've got to discount what people are telling you for pensions because they're going away.
1: They are. You know, and one of the drivers for them dropping so much in the past 30 years has been interest rates. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, originally back in the 80s when when companies could make 7 or 8% on their pension plan, you know, guaranteed, um, you know, they didn't have to put so much money aside. But as interest rates have fallen, fallen, fallen over the last 30 years, now – You know, they can only count on 2 or 3% in the pension plan. That means they have to put a lot more money away to support that pension. And so that's just been such a burden. And and they keep finding themselves underfunded every single year as as interest rates continue to drop. So it's just put them in jeopardy. And, and, um, you know, I think rightfully so, companies have have gone to 401K plans because – People appreciate it more, and it takes the risk away from the company. Unfortunately, people aren't using
2: them. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, this gap that's left by the pension decline, like we talked about, and the lack of 401K participation – it's starting to show up in retirees' incomes. I mean, retirees with annual incomes greater than $50,000 are twice as likely to have a pension as a major source of their income. And, you know, most retirees without pensions do not have a personal savings to make up the difference. And as a result, their incomes are lower, and they, uh, they're they much more dependent on Social Security.
1: Yeah, that's right. A recent Employee Benefit Research Institute study focuses on, you know, what will happen if today's retirees continue on their current savings path. And what they show is that workers who retire without any income from a pension, they have a 25% higher risk of running out of money um, to cover the basic expenses in retirement than those who receive pensions. And for some reason, I mean, people often are just not smart enough to plan ahead and to save the 10 or 15 percent per year they need to in a 401k plan um you know many just don't have the discipline or the foresight to do that and john that's why you've heard me get on my my soapbox mm-hmm. before and say i think you know, I think 401k's probably should be, if not mandatory, they should at least be the default that you know, you know, five or six percent of mm-hmm. your money goes into, and then you can't touch it, and then and then not have hardship withdrawals. They ought to do away with hardship withdrawals because some reason once people get in a crisis, that's the first place they go, and they wipe out their future and their their retirement. And it just shouldn't be an option.
2: Yeah, I just really don't believe it's, it's smart. I'm with you. Have you put that dialed that, that into the uh, the government? Obama no, knows I haven't.
1: Haven't sent that up
2: there yet. Yeah. You know, I mean,
1: I guess I can email them. But, yeah. uh yeah. You think they've ever thought of that?
2: I don't uh, know. Probably not. No. Nah. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I mean, you know, you're, you're right. You're hitting the nail on the head. Future retirees, they're going to have to be more disciplined about building a nest egg that will uh, support them through retirement. You can't count on your employer or the government to supply your re- retirement needs. And really it isn't their responsibility to make sure you have a comfortable retirement. That's up to each uh, individual. So I think we'll cover the, the rest of this when we come back from, uh, from our break.
1: That's right. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. seven three nine zero seven two five. You're listening to Money M D with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. I'm Steve Marbot, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider, and Gordon Leopard, an advisor in our office. And we are continuing our discussion here um, before the break about is a secure retirement a thing of the past? It's a Dave Ramsey article, and you know, John, I mean. Um, pension plans have evaporated mm-hmm, yeah. right i mean companies just don't offer those anymore and uh not like they used to or they're phasing them out and if they haven't yet phased yours out they're going to yeah. so <laughs> You know, don't get too comfortable with
2: it. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and the other stat we saw, Steve, is that um, 55% of workers have access to a 401K, but just 38% um, of those participate in it. So it's kind of a double whammy. It's creating a, quite an issue um, from a retirement standpoint. We we see this all the time, folks coming in, that, um, you know, fortunately in this area, many people do have pensions. It's a phenomenal asset, like we talked about um, and uh, it can really bolster the income and in retirement, but you know the younger crowd and and there are some people in this area who don 't have pensions um, you know it makes it challenging and But the good news is is you'll be you 'll be glad to hear that building a cushy nest egg isn 't complicated now it 's not easy, otherwise everybody would have done it, but it 's not complicated you've got to start by getting out of debt. Um, and this is classic Dave Ramsey building an emergency fund of three to six months of expenses, and that'll give you the foundation that you need to start building wealth for the future.
1: Yeah, but it does take some discipline, and oh, I think it does. that's what people lack. You know, I mean, just the same reason you know people are overweight, right? I mean, it, it's hard to to give up the satisfaction today for fu- for the future, and um, it, it's just difficult for people to commit the fifteen percent of their income. For retirement, um, and you know, but that's all it takes. I mean, if you can just put fifteen percent away in your four hundred one k plan, in you know, good stock mutual funds through a tax deferred retirement plan, and you know, if you use that plan, a, a worker even earning only forty thousand dollars a year could save a million to a million and a half for retirement over their working lifetime. Here, according to the numbers that uh, Dave Ramsey has crunched here. Um, so it's not rocket science. It just takes some discipline. It takes time. But you, you have to you have to give up some things today to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, that's right. You know, the toughest part about taking responsibility for your own retirement is the commitment. I mean, it's, it's tough to maintain a consistent investing plan over 30 years or more. And sometimes budget demands will challenge your determination. And other times the stock market, you know, ha- having the wild ups and downs will make you want to hide all your money in your mattress. But that's why it's important. Um, that you have a plan. Um, some people out there work with, with advisors to kind of help them navigate and, uh, and work on the planning and the allocation and keeping them focused associated with it. So you'll have to figure out if that's the right solution for you. But, um, you know, you gotta to stick to a plan even in the difficult times and, and kind of have a strategy going forward. And as Dave talked about, having that emergency fund as a basis is, um, and being out of debt is a critical piece of it. But uh, take control of your situation, and if you need help, we can certainly sit down with you and, and kind of review where you are and give you some thoughts.
1: Exactly. And once you get the money in there, don't touch it. Don't take money out <clears throat> to meet today's needs. Leave it in your retirement plan for retirement. That's what it's there for. You know. Okay, good topic, and that leads us up here to our last topic of the day, and that is um, an article out of uh, money.com. Don't count the American economy out just yet. Yeah. You know, the comeback kid. I mean, the the guy's on the ropes, but it's like Rocky, right? We're still throwing a few punches there, yep. and I think we're, I think we're making our way back
2: here. Well, and you know, sure, China is definitely gaining ground, but that's that's what they said about Japan a generation ago, and the U.S. remains the world's economic champ in more ways than one. And you know, now that that China has passed Japan in uh, in gross domestic product. Uh, also known as GDP, some pundits figured it's only a matter of time before it surpasses the United States to become the world's economic power.
1: Yeah, and um, yeah, but it's way too early to come to a conclusion for that. I mean and so they showed the standings here in the chart, you know, of GDP and the United States is still about double the GDP of uh, of China with mm-hmm. over about sixteen million in trillion, trillion in GDP, <laughs> big difference. Yeah, trillion in GDP compared to about eight trillion for China. Um, so we're double that. Um, Japan is down there around six and a half trillion dollars, uh, which I think is pretty impressive for a company, a country the size of Japan, mm-hmm. right? But uh, but we have a long lead and we have some things in our favor, right? I mean, we got. The energy boom that's happening here in the U.S. that's adding a lot to our economy now. Um, technology. You know, technology. Huge. I mean, we, we have our – and we have our – our population is growing, mm-hmm. right? We do have a large uh, – as much as sometimes we don't like it, we have a large immigration, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a large large group of immigrants every year. So our population is growing, and that does raise your GDP,
2: and uh, so, it's it helps. Yeah, it's it is an interesting stat here that we're we're double what China is. Um, you know, in the 1980s, many people felt it was only a matter of time before Japan topped the U.S. Um, uh, Japan had a homogenous population, low crime. Uh, they had good elementary education, minimal defense budget. You Remember that just-in-time inventory, you know, yeah. state-of-the-art continuous improvement in business practices and and a strong tradition of excelling at export. So they had a lot of positive things going on but um, it's, even today, it's uh, you know it, it's helped. I think it's impressive what they've done, but the United States is much larger. Yeah, and then
1: in the late 80s, <clears throat> if you remember the uh, real estate crisis they hit back then and the S&L crisis, I mean, Japan hit what turned out to be an excruciating long period of economic stagnation. Um, they had their banking crisis that they never really resolved very well. And, uh, you know, the tune changed. I mean, all of a sudden, people were talking about Japan's Structural economic flaws and their excessive consultation, um, inefficient uh, subsidies for rice farmers and their political gridlock. I remember I was always angry because, you know, some Japan investor bought Pebble Beach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, American icon, Pebble yeah, Beach, yeah. you know, we're falling to Japan. That's terrible. But, uh, you know, that quickly changed, right? I think they had to sell it, and now, uh, you know, it's it's owned uh, – I don't know. I think it's owned by yeah. by the municipality up there.
2: Yeah, you know, what, what, what This all these predictions proved uh, was a truth um, that has been demonstrated over and over and over, that people are good at predicting anything except for the future. And, you know, Steve, I think this, um, just to kind of put a little, you know, investing slant on this, is no one knows... Who, what country is going to do the best going forward? No one knows that. No one knows what segment of the market or what stock. So, and this kind of speaks to me: diversification um, is is a great strategy. Owning a little bit of these different countries. Um, You know, and, and, uh, you know, the advantages the U.S. has over China are considerable. We have a free market system, tradition of rewarding success, peaceful resolution mechanisms for disputes. And and best of all, we have a culture of innovation. And while our education system at the uh, lower levels may be, you know, kind of so-so, our higher education system is still the envy of many countries out there.
1: That's right. I mean, total GDP counts for a lot in determining which nations will yield more power on the world stage. I mean, if you want to amass armed forces or send an astronaut to the moon, clearly GDP is kind of the raw material for those achievements, right, It's your financial base. However, total GDP, total gross domestic product doesn't tell you how rich the average person is. I mean, for that, you know, a a decent approximation is GDP per person. And the ranking would be, you know, topped by the likes of of Quatar or Luxembourg or Singapore. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and and even that measure fails to capture the ultimate thing that that really matters. And that's the quality of life. I mean, close to 50 years ago, Senator Robert Kennedy uh, spoke eloquently about the limitations of GDP. He basically said GDP counts air pollution and cigarette advertising and ambulances to clear out highways of carnage. Uh, it counts special locks for our doors and jails for the people who break them. So uh, there's GDP is just one measure. There's a lot of other measures that you can look at. But it, it does kind of give an idea of the, the um, economic strength that a country has. If you're sure. producing a lot of product, typically that's going to mean you have a good amount of money.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, GDP isn't everything. You know, it doesn't allow for the health of our children, the quality of the education, the, the you know, all the things that we're able to enjoy here in the, the U.S. or don't factor into to GDP. Um, I think for that, you have to look at standard of living. To mm-hmm. me, standard of living is a better measure of mm-hmm. how wealthy a country is. And uh, by that measure, I mean, we're pretty darn wealthy. You know, even our even people below the poverty line have a cell phone typically and, and, you know, cable TV. Um, So I think we are clearly one of the wealthiest countries in the world. No doubt. No doubt. Regardless of how you measure it. Uh, But, yeah, GDP certainly isn't everything.
2: Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it measures everything in short except that which makes uh, life worthwhile. I mean, some intangible things. And it can tell us everything about America except why we are proud that we are American. So, you know, again, I mean, you know, U.S. Um, has a very large GDP. It's just one factor. Uh, I think we are uh, a very lucky country. I think a lot of people forget that. Very blessed. Um, You know, we're not perfect, and there's a lot of issues that need to be resolved, but a pretty good place to be hanging out.
1: It definitely is, and I think we have some great days ahead um, because we do have some to win their back in some areas. I mean, energy is one of those, and innovation and technology are amazing, you know, and usually those big technology breakthroughs come, start in the U.S., Mm Um, So we have some great things on our side. All right. Well, that brings up to a close of this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, MoneyMD.net. Email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net or link to us on our website. Um, Or give us a call, John and Steve at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one.